0: This morning, we continue in our series, Red Letter Living. We started this January, the first Sunday in January of this year, and I said at that time, it might take us most of the year. Well, you know what? It's going to. It's going to take us right up until the Advent season, and then even through the Advent season, we're going to be focusing on the words of Jesus himself as he declared who he is. And so here today... We look at some of those red-letter words again. Now, the ones we examined this morning were some of the last ones that, that Jesus uttered. They're part of an interaction that Jesus had with Simon Peter in the days following the resurrection. Now, this interaction is very familiar, I think, to almost all of us. Remember when Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you... What? Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Now this is after the resurrection. This is up in Galilee. They're beside the Sea of Galilee. They decided to do a little fishing and Jesus appeared and they're having this impromptu gathering and he pulls Peter aside a little bit to have this conversation with Peter. As the passage goes on, you can picture that they're walking along the seashore. Having a conversation with just the two of them, though there was one trailing behind, listening into every word. And then he got to record it in his gospel, and none of the other gospel writers did. But Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And, and it says Peter was grieved that the Lord asked him three times. Now, why was that grieving to Peter, that the Lord asked him three times? Because what had Peter done? He had denied the Lord how many times? Three. It was like, Peter, remember, Peter, remember, Peter, remember. Do you love me, really? Do you love me, really? Do you love me, really? And Peter wound up saying, finally, oh Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, even though I have failed you. It wasn't for lack of love, just lack of courage. And so that's the conversation that they had just had. And then today's red-letter words come right after Peter saying, Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. And They're walking along. Something takes place, and, and Jesus says these words. Obviously, Peter has said something to Jesus. This is a response, and we'll get to it in a minute, what it was. But Jesus says, what is that to you? Today, you know, and in you know, common language, women would say, what do you care? What is that to you? Have you ever had somebody bring up something to you that seems so far afield and so far away from the discussion you're having that you say to them, or they ask some question that seems none of their business, and you say, what do you care about that? That has nothing to do with you. That's what Jesus says here. What is that? To you, Peter, you must follow me. You must follow me. That's one of the first things Jesus ever said to Peter, when he came along beside Peter and Andrew as they were fishermen beside the sea three years earlier, and he said, uh, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Later in Jesus' ministry. After the disciples had been with him for almost the full three years, remember Peter said, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. We've done that. And now here we are at the end. Jesus almost ready to ascend back into heaven. He's resurrected from the dead. They know he's the son of God. And Jesus says, Now Peter, follow me. That's your main thing. Don't worry about anything else. What is that to you? What are all the that's of the world to you? Peter, you just follow me. So interesting words. An interesting directive. You might say, what was going on? What created that? Well, here's something that came right before that. And also after the do you love me, do you love me? Jesus had just revealed to Peter the manner in which Peter would die. He told Peter how he was going to die. Or as John the Gospel writer would put it, the manner by which Peter would glorify God. Jesus said, Peter, the day is coming when somebody else will take you and stretch out your arms and take you where you do not want to go. Now, a little picturesque language, but he's basically saying they're going to nail you to the cross just like they're going to nail, or did nail me to the cross. Peter, that's how you're going to die. By crucifixion. Killed because of his faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to see this morning, as we get going, that there's more than just a prediction in that revelation. He was telling Peter much more than just how he was going to die. If you think about it. I don't know if Peter thought about it. That revelation contains some great hope for Peter if Peter would receive it. Yes, on the surface, first thing you get, Peter would die a horrible death. It's the worst possible death in those days. Suffering perhaps four days in the process of slowly suffocating on that cross. No one really wants to be told something like that. When Peter heard that, it was not something that uh, thrilled him. The Lord just telling him a horrible piece of news. But then think about it. Think about it. Jesus was telling Peter that he was going to die a martyr's death. A martyr's death. Think what that meant. It meant that Peter, what, would be faithful unto death. No more denying or hiding or cringing or forsaking. He would die, as we like to say around here, with his faith wonderfully intact. Good news for a guy who had once turned tail and run. Jesus told Peter that this would happen when Peter was old said, Peter, when you're old, someone will take you and stretch out your hands and, as it were, nail you to the cross. So that meant that Peter's death was not imminent. He would have many more years before that martyr's death would come. Most likely about 30, the way we might calculate things out. It also meant that Peter would be viewed as a threat by Rome. Why else would he? Only the Roman government could crucify somebody. So if he's going to be crucified, it's because the Romans did it. And the only reason the Romans would care about somebody like the Apostle Peter is if he was stirring up some kind of trouble in their empire, which would have to indicate he was having an effective ministry. Well, That's good news. It meant that Peter's death would bring glory to God. Now, John in his gospel tells us that in the passage we're in right now today. Jesus was telling Peter, John says, the manner in which Peter would glorify God. If your death is going to glorify God, it means that uh, somehow it lifts people's attention to God. Possibly it will impact unbelievers for Christ, even as Jesus' death impacted that centurion who was standing there saying, This man must be the Son of God. Peter, your death is going to have an impact, possibly on unbelievers. Certainly it will inspire those who already belong to Christ. To see someone die in faith. To see somebody die without doubting. To see somebody die believing that he's only a breath away from the glories of heaven can encourage anyone else to say, someday I want that to be me. I want to come to my last breath fully convinced that my faith is secure in Jesus Christ and that I do not doubt, I do not turn away, I do not resist, but I bring glory to God even in the way I die. You see, Jesus was actually telling Peter that a great future awaited him, as did, without question, the Heavenly Father's well done. God had a plan for Peter. And it was a plan like no other, for it had Peter's own name embossed upon it. However, Right there in the midst of a revelation that could have and should have thrilled Peter and focused him, something popped into Peter's mind that threatened to undermine everything. Something that could have and probably nearly did get Peter sidetracked from this whole focus that Jesus was giving him. Peter, you have a glorious future. Peter, you're going to be really a star. Peter, you're going to be someone that Rome takes notice of. You're going to be someone that brings glory to the Almighty by the way that you die and how you live your life. All of that should have been just so thrilling and humbling, really, to Peter. But something popped into his mind that almost sidetracked him from all that wonderful truth. Tell me, has that ever happened to you? You come into contact with some spiritual truth. Some critical spiritual reality. And you're just about ready to grab it. Oh gee, dare I say it might happen occasionally on a Sunday morning. Right here. Some spiritual truth. Something out of the scripture. Something the Holy Spirit reveals to you. And you, you're just about to grab it with both hands and take it to heart and say, this could affect the way I live the rest of my life. And something pops into your mind. Something else. And the insight fades. And the excitement lessens. And Jesus would want to say to you, what does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do? That thing that popped into your mind is a problem. There's a lot of that's that can refocus our minds, that can stifle the spirit. The spirit would say to us, just like Jesus said to Peter, what is that to you? Come on, come on, get back with the program. What is that? got to do with anything, you must follow him. You must follow me. Spirit would say, you must walk with me and keep at it. That's what we're about. So today's key question, let's just raise the one that we're already thinking. What was it? What was it that nearly sidetracked Peter? And see if it might be the kind of thing that occasionally sidetracks us and gets us off track and away from the following after that Christ would have us do. What almost stole away the thrill of the revelation that Jesus had just shared with Peter? Well, it's the same thing that can steal away our joy in our daily walk with Numa and our contented acceptance of the life path that our fathers lay down for us. And here it is. Comparison With others. Now there's a lot of things that can steal us away. There's a lot of things that can divert our attention. But this is the one that worked with Peter. This is the that that Jesus was talking about in this passage. Peter, what does that, what is that to you? Well, comparison with others. Can just stop us in our tracks. God has us walking down a path, and we know it's something that He's led us to do. He's laid upon our heart. It might even be our study of the Word, it might be our growing in our faith, it might be whatever it is, and all of a sudden we notice something about someone else that might even cause us to be a little jealous maybe a little resentful maybe a little doubtful about and it's it's that as i compare myself to someone else i get out of the track that god has me on so let's read the fuller story here and see how that worked with peter it's in the same passage of course but this time we'll begin at john chapter 21 verse 18 read on to 23 and here's how it goes I tell you the truth, Peter, Jesus says, when you are old. See, I told you. He told Peter it'll happen when you're old, Peter. How many in this room feel old? Really? You're admitting to it? Older than I've ever been. Fortunately, as far as I know, none of us in this room right now are as old as we're ever going to be. Please don't interrupt the service. (laughs) Let's see. Jesus says, Peter, when you're old. And Peter wasn't old yet. Like I said, pretty much this is happening around 35 or 34 uh, AD. Peter wrote his letters about 65 AD. So uh, he might have another good 30 years to go. So Jesus is telling him, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will lead you where you do not want to go. Anybody reading that that doesn't know anything about anything of the first century would say, what in the world is he talking about? I mean, Jesus didn't make it all that clear, did he? And then John, the gospel writer, he doesn't help our understanding by John saying, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. You say, really? What kind of death is that? John could have said, Jesus said this to indicate Peter was going to be crucified. Would have made it a lot clearer, easier to understand. But, you know... John is just saying Jesus made it so clear to Peter that John could just say Jesus was revealing this outcome in Peter's life is going to bring glory to God. If God stooped right down on of heaven and whispered in your ear and said your death is going to bring glory to me I can't tell you exactly when it's going to happen but your death is going to bring glory to me. Maybe more glory to me than anything you've done in your life has done. Honestly, wouldn't you look forward to that day? Going to go out with a bang, apparently. Going to bring glory to God in some way. Well, John, the writer, says uh, this is what Jesus was communicating there. Then, Jesus said to him, follow me. So you imagine they are walking along the seashore. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is that? Wasn't John a humble guy? (laughs) You know, we, we say this all the time. John was so humble, he never stuck his own name in his own gospel. All he did is you speak euphemistically about himself i'm too humble to say i was there you know it was that disciple jesus loved more than anyone else he was there and so right now the disciple that jesus loved more than anyone else was following after peter whose name we use a lot so peter turned and he saw the disciple whom jesus loved was following them When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? This guy following along, listening to everything we're saying. He's probably going to write it down. What about him? And then Jesus says this. Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Do you sense even a slight bit of irritation in Jesus' tone there? Peter, 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 can you not just focus on one thing at a time, what I'm telling you? What is that, John? What does my plan for John have to do with you? If I plan for him to never die, what's that to you? Well, actually it's kind of a big thing. I'd like to be the guy that never dies. See, and isn't that how it goes? We compare us with ourselves with other people and we can easily I'd rather be the guy that got that job. I'd rather be the guy that was honored there. I would rather be the guy that this or that or that somebody else is, I'd rather be. And Jesus says it doesn't matter what my plans for John or any of the others are. I've just shared with you the plan for you. Not everybody even gets to know the plan for their own death. I told you Peter at least how you're going to die. I favored you with that information and that information is filled with all kinds of hopefulness about what it means. Focus on that. You just follow after me. So, John in his gospel says, Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. Well, can't you believe that happening? Peter probably started it. I don't know. John's his favorite. We know John was his favorite all along. And now it looks like John's going to stay alive until the Lord returns. Even though they thought the Lord was going to return, probably pretty quickly anyway. John says, But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Let's get it straight what Jesus was upset with and what he was saying. But as John writes this, he's pretty much near the end of the first century. All the other disciples are dead by now. John is still alive. Most of his contemporaries, the ones who first passed the rumor around, yeah, the word is, John's not going to die. He's going to live until the Lord returns. Most of them are dead. And here John is, maybe nearing 100 years old, still alive, still refuting the story It says, come on, John, you've outlived all the rest of uh, your contemporaries. John didn't know. Maybe John had in his own heart the thought, as you know, maybe. Maybe I am going to avoid death. Maybe I will be alive at the return of Christ and I'll just be caught up to be with him and not have to go through that terrible doorway called death. Boy, my mother was counting on that. She hung on till 104, believing the Lord could come every day, any day. John, why wouldn't you think? You know, maybe it is so. Some of us in here might be in that crowd who never die. The Lord returns and catches us up without us having to die. Well, it may, John, maybe Jesus didn't say John's gonna live forever. But it sure looked like John had a long track record. By the time he wrote these words, there could be, that rumor could be gaining in strength rather than losing strength. Because Jesus said those words. Kind of to make a point as strong as he could make it to Peter. He said, Peter, now listen. What about him, you say? What if... Let's think the worst possible scenario, Peter. What if he never dies? What if it's my will that he live until I return? What is that to you? You just follow me to the end of your life as I've already told you it's going to be. And yet how human is that? How human it is to to look at others and make comparisons. Either we compare ourselves better than or we compare others better than us and it's like uh, we either feel triumphant or uneasy. That's really a pretty demonic thing that Satan would try to get into our minds and our hearts and, and, and make the deal for us how we're doing compared to our contemporaries, those who are like us, are we ahead of them or behind them? It's all part of a, you know, a competition. What about him? What about her? What about them? How does your plan for them, Father, compare to your plan for me? That's what Peter was getting at. I can just imagine and you can probably do it too, I can just imagine these words running through Peter's mind, if not actually coming out of his lips. Something like this. Lord, uh, how about John here? Before I can be content with what you have said lies ahead of me, I need to know what lies ahead of John. Lord, you know. That We've been in a kind of an ongoing competition the entire time we have walked with you. The disciples were forever arguing over who the greatest was and and so forth. And and, and I can imagine Peter at least thinking, you know, we've we've been competing as we've followed you. We've been competing with each other all along. So what about him? You told me about me. What about him? I've got to know. I can imagine that sounding just like Peter. Does it by any chance sound just like you? Just by any chance. I've just got to know. Whether I'm kind of ahead of the bunch or if I'm falling behind the bunch. I just got to know. What's my reputation with these people? I can ask myself, does it at all sound like me? One of the great comforts of preaching, after nearly 50 years of doing it, is that I've been relieved from a lot of the tensions that I had when I first started out doing it. Where you might think God had a mega church in mind for you you know, God had a this or God had a that, and you see everybody else kind of finding their own place to be. Ah, at this point, I just know where my place is. It's with you people. I couldn't handle more than you if I had to. So this is it. This is it. God made that pretty clear to me a few years ago. So see, Jesus would say and has said to me, and to you, he would say exactly what he said to Peter those long years ago. Whatever the, the comparison is you're making in your mind or curious about, he would say to you, what does that, what is that to you? Why are you bringing it up? Why is that a concern? What is that to you? You just follow me. You keep in step with the spirit I sent to companion you through this life. But those questions can still come, can't they? They can distract us. They can harass us, even frustrate us. So how can we get free from them and quit looking at others and comparing our situation with theirs? Well, allow me to share with you this morning, just briefly, what I'm saying. A way to quell. How's that for a word? A way to quell the questions. So you have got two cues there. A way to quell those questions. Lord, what about? What about? How's it going to be with them? The answer is, accept the answers that God has already given. So you don't have to keep asking him. You don't have to keep running around in your mind. God has already answered those questions for us. So accept those answers and never get sidetracked by all of that ever again. This morning we're just going to give you two scriptural answers. They're marvelous scriptures. They're familiar. I like to work with familiar scriptures You know, the truth of it is, if I came across on a Sunday morning with scriptures you've never heard of before, you know what happens when you leave? You never think of them again. But if I use scriptures that you've heard over and over and over and you're familiar with them and we apply them in a way that makes sense within what we're saying, you can go home and those have already been in your mind and now you have a new application for them. So here we go. Two very incredibly good answers to just squelch these questions that can just harass us. First one is in Jeremiah 29, 11. A bunch of you have that as your life verse. Or if you write to somebody, write in somebody's yearbook or whatever, a Christmas card, you might even jot down Jeremiah 29, 11. It says this, God talking, For I know the plans I have for you. That says he's got some. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. <sighs> I'm glad doesn't, God doesn't have plans to harm me regularly, just to see how much I can take. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Marvelous declaration of how God puts together his plans for our life and what they contain. And then, Romans 8.28, of course, you probably know, but it tells us how God works out his plans. God works in all things, everything that happens. Everything that happens, God works in all things for the good of those who love him. Capital G, good. He doesn't just get us through it. He works in that circumstance to bring out something that is actually godly. Because when the man came to Jesus and said, good master, Jesus says, why are you calling me good? Good's a very special word. Only God is good. So therefore, the only situation in this world that God could call good is something that is honoring to him, something that's actually godly. He doesn't just let us endure it. He makes something that causes his name to be elevated because of it. God works in all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Another word for plan. So those are the two key scriptures today. Here's just a couple of what I've called question-quelling observations from those scriptures. Let's just talk through the parts of them. First observation. Though every plan of the Father's is individually designed, that is, your name, your plan has your name on it, and it's unlike anyone else's, they all fulfill the same purpose. So even though there was a plan for Peter, and Jesus didn't reveal the plan for John, but it was going to be different than Peter's, as it turned out, John wasn't crucified, and John lived a long, long time. Even though the plan was different, the purpose for both of them was exactly the same. You see, God the Father is building a family of faith. A family of faith composed of mature sons and daughters formed into the very likeness of Jesus himself. Now the pathway into that Christ likeness is different for each one of us. If we had time to sit down here and say, just tell me your life story. Tell me what all has been involved before you came to Christ. Tell me what all has been involved, what activities you've been in, what pathway you've walked on since you came to Christ and what you anticipate is right out there in front of you. Every one of us would have our own unique story. But in every one of us who has received Christ as Savior, in every one of us who has been born again into the family of God as a son or daughter of God, every one of us is heading toward the same thing. Christ-likeness. Becoming like him. And the Spirit of God, who's been given to each of us individually, he works in each of us according to the unique person that we are, but he's working each one of us toward that same glorious outcome. The Bible tells us he's changing us from one degree of glory, little by little, into the very likeness of Christ, the Lord himself. And that is for the purpose, then, all of us together being identified as members of the beautiful Bride of Christ and someday being presented by the Son as his Bride to the Father himself in heaven. So we're all heading to the same place, the same moment, the same experience, but there's a a million different ways that the Spirit works with each of us. We each have our own story. We are each our own person. And the plan of God is tweaked for each one of us and superintended by the Holy Spirit to get us to that same final place. Some of us learn slower than others. The Spirit might have to work us or walk us through some situations several times before we say, you know, I don't think that really honors Christ. I don't really think that's God's will and plan for me until we finally get that taken care of. So each one of us Walk by the Spirit down the unique uh, GPS that he's laid out for us. First here, then here, then here, then here. But the destination is the same for us all. God's purpose is the same for us all. Until one day we all together are presented to the Almighty God as the bride of his son, as the full result of the great sacrifice Jesus has made. And that's what it is. So it doesn't really matter what path you're on compared to me. What does that matter to you? We're all walking in step with the Spirit toward the same destination and cheering one another on. And then for all eternity, we will be known as blood-bought, Spirit-enabled sons and daughters of God. Now, here's some things that are true of every one of the Father's plans coming out of uh, those two scriptures. Number one, God's plans prosper us spiritually. They always have our best and our future in mind. They will prosper us spiritually. They are plans that help us to grow spiritually. They're plans that strengthen us spiritually. Occasionally, they might profit a believer materially. Some people have more than others. The ones that God gives more to, he he anticipates they will use what they have to bring blessing to him. You and I have more materially than the vast number of Christians from the vast centuries that precede us. Just living in this country, we have been blessed materially. How many people over the last 200 years or so, how many Christians might have thought, why couldn't I have been born in America? They might be living in fear of their lives every day. And the thought might be, Lord, what, what about, you know, why couldn't I have been born in the United States where I could freely practice my faith, not be fearful of it? We're here. We can do this. We've been blessed in some ways. God's plan has included a certain amount of material provision as well as spiritual Our goal, our need is to make sure the material doesn't overwhelm the spiritual and we just get content with this good, wonderful life we live. But God's plans are to prosper us, not to let us get saved and just kind of shrink on the vine. He wants to see Christians growing. He sent his Holy Spirit to us to provide for that growth, to encourage that growth. Spiritual prosperity... God's plans do not bring harm to us, spiritually speaking. Nothing truly harmful is ever part of God's plan for any of his children. Nothing truly harmful can ever come to any of God's own. But do remember this. Remember when Jesus said, Do not fear them that can, and I add this word, merely kill the body. Christians have died by the thousands, millions, over all the years. Uh, But they weren't eternally harmed. They weren't really harmed. They actually gained a martyr's crown as a result of that. God will never send anything our way and plan anything for us that will harm us spiritually. Though life with its ups and downs is unpredictable, and in all those things we already have the promise that God works in all those things for our good, not our harm. All these things, God's plans provide hope for us that something truly good will be the outcome. We as Christians can can get used to saying stuff like this. Maybe some of you do. A situation comes up that you wouldn't have chosen. Situation comes up that looks like it's going to be pretty, pretty difficult, maybe even life-threatening. And you say to yourself, I can't wait to see what God brings out of this. I can't wait to see what God brings out of this. And you know, there have been some people, I'm confident, over the years who even have been hit with what might be a death sentence, an illness. The diagnosis is given. You're not sure how it's going to go and, and you're going to Follow the best procedure. But as a believer, you say, I can't, I just can't wait to see what God's going to bring out of this. And for some of those people, what is brought out of this is several conversions at their funeral service. And looking on from the heavenly realms, you say, well, that was good. That was good. Somebody got to share my testimony of faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit used it to stir an unbeliever to respond to Christ. That's good. That's good. I can't wait to see what God God brings out of this. He's working in everything. Even horrible situations you might be in in school or on the job and you you just want to pull your hair out if you gave in to your fleshly impulses (laughs) and just said, You know, I just can't wait to see what God is going to bring out of this. Because this is one of those things that God works in. And he works in it for the good of those of us who love him, who are committed to him. So trust him. Trust him. Don't say to yourself, man, I don't know any other kid having to go through what I'm going through. Well, maybe you don't. What is that to you? See, Jesus would say, I'm concerned with you. You're going through it and guess what? God is not ignorant of what you are going through. In fact, God is committed to you and God will work in this situation and as time goes by, he will bring something truly godly, God-honoring good out of it. So just hang in there and trust him. Trust him. That's what God does. That's right part of the plans that God has for those who are his. They provide hope for us that something is always in the works of a godly nature. Also, they provide a future for us. Ultimately, that's in heaven, of course. The old gospel song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Well, My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The younger you are, the less enthused you are to sing that song. The older you are, you say, that's right. That's right. That's right. This world's just passing away. But, you know, even when you are young, oh, it can be powerful to know this world's just passing away. Don't let me get so wrapped up in it. Don't let my emotions get so stirred by it as though this is the way it's going to be forever because this world passes away. And a lot of the things that disturb us the most pass away in less than six months, let alone in, in just over longer time. We have a future that has nothing to do with the circumstances we're in right now. But those circumstances we're in right now, God is in with us and he's working and we can be sure of that. And then the, the plans of God, last thing we are, next to the last thing, they transform trouble into triumph. All God's work is good, whether we see it or not. How many of you, this is a safe question, you can answer it. How many of you are in any kind of a situation where you say, I don't see anything good coming out of this? How many of you have ever been in a situation where you say, I I don't see anything good coming out of this? You know, that's okay. Because the Bible doesn't say we'll ever know what the good is. We just have God's word for it. He's working in it for our good. Sometimes we can look back and say, boy, I can see, I see how that changed me. I see how that brought a new person into my life. I could see how that set me on a new direction, a new course. It was a a good thing that I got into that whatever it was. Sometimes we can put two and two together that way. Most of the time we can't most of the time from our human perspective it's I don't have a clue and I wish it were gone but from a biblical perspective we say but God's working in this God's working in this for something good for me and I'm going to take his word for it and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to just keep living with it in it the way he wants me to live and I will trust him that he's doing exactly what he says he will do. He's working in it. And that's enough for me. He will turn this trouble into some kind of triumph. And then all these plans of God, as they work out in our life, they identify us as one of God's own. And let me just say this as we close. God only has plans for those who are or who someday will be his own. Let me say it again. God only has plans that meet all these criteria for those who are his own or those who will one day be his own. God reaches down through the circumstances of life and by his Holy Spirit he reveals his truth to people And he enables those people to respond to his truth. We sang the song, had that horrible word in it we don't like, predestined. Predestined. That means God made a decision. God made a decision. If you're a born-again believer this morning, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God made a decision before this world was ever created that a day would come when somebody with your name and with your fingerprints would accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then God could say, way, way, way ahead of time, or he could say the very moment that happened, he could say, and I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you that is to nurture you, is to grow you, and to ultimately have you standing right here in front of my throne as part of the beautiful bride of Christ and enjoying this fellowship for all eternity. And he'd say, embrace it. Embrace it. If you feel any kind of stirring in your heart at all uh, about that truth, you you just embrace it and say, Father, I want to know your plan. I want your plan to work out in my life. I want to be part of that great company. I confess my sins. I receive Jesus as my own Lord and Savior. I believe he's the, the son of God. I believe he died on the cross for me. But don't just glibly go walking around telling everybody that you run into that God has a wonderful plan for their life. That is not a true gospel statement. God has a wonderful plan for every human being who is his own. And it begins by winning that person to his son. God's plan for the unbeliever. God's plan for those who resist. God's plan for those who sink ever deeper into sin is judgment. So we cannot be so glib about it. You know, We cannot just say, hey, God offers you a good deal. Better take advantage of it. No. All these things, the plan of God, the purposes of God, the prospering, all these things come to those who are God's. So the question is, have you become one of God's children? Not, hey, God has a great deal for you, better sign up. Now the question of people is, are you one of God's children? Have you been born again through faith in God's Son, Jesus? Because if you have, and if you haven't, I'm asking you, I'm urging you, give your life to Christ. And some people just can't do that. They won't do that. Their fallen nature is still in control of them completely. The Holy Spirit hasn't stirred anything new within them. And they say, that's foolishness. I don't believe any of that stuff. They're letting you know where they stand. And God doesn't have a wonderful plan for their life. They are telling you where they stand. I don't believe in any of that baloney. I don't believe in God. I don't need a savior. I'm just fine as I am. Those are all words of the fallen human flesh that are very normal and natural to people who have not in any way embraced God's truth. And so when you talk to people, you ask them, if they've given their life to Christ, don't try to sell them something. Inquire of them. Have you given your life to Christ? Because God has a wonderful plan for those who do. God has a wonderful plan for those who surrender themselves to Christ. So I ask you in this room, for sure, have you given your life to Christ? Because then, The moment you do that, the moment you have an inclination to want to do that, those around you who know the Lord become aware that the Spirit of God is at work within you. And they will want to encourage you to act upon that yearning that you're feeling. And they say, oh, do that. Do that. Jesus died for you. Jesus gave himself for you. God has a marvelous life for those who will give themselves to Jesus. But first things first, have you given yourself to Jesus? Have you become a member of the family of God? And then, as a member of the family of God, you fall heir, as it were, to all of the plans of God. All the works of God that he tells us in the scripture, he's busily doing. So be sure of that. If you have, rejoice in that. And then realize that that God's plan is not just to get you forgiven of your sins and then hang on to heaven. Or do your own thing until then. You see, God's plan is that you give your life to Christ. And if you give your life to Christ, your life doesn't belong to you anymore. Christ is in charge of your life. And now your question is, what does Jesus want of me? What did Jesus teach about this life? We've been going through it all year long. Every day, we need to reaffirm that our lives have been given to Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And we are following along, led by His Spirit. And if any of that isn't true of any of you, for heaven's sakes, talk to somebody about it. Come talk to me about it. Say, Pastor Mark, I'm not sure what you're getting at this morning, but I'm not sure where I stand with God. And the very fact that that bothers you will say that God's at work and I'd love to help him in that work with you. Heavenly Father, you who author the plan of salvation, you who offer the the glorious kingdom itself in the presence of Christ and all the heavenly hosts forever and ever serving you, honoring you, loving you, Father, you are the one that we bow before today, that we worship, that we honor, that we adore. And Father, we we give ourselves to your Son, Jesus, he who gave himself for us, even leaving the glories of heaven, even allowing himself to suffer physically on the cross, and more than that, willing to suffer the judgment of God upon sin. Father, we give ourselves to him. And we rejoice in the fact that that you see every one of us as individuals. You have a plan that has our name on it. And so we don't. We don't compare ourselves. We rejoice that our Heavenly Father knows us, cares about us. And Father, as a result, we rejoice in the plans you have for us we rejoice in the plans that you have for our Christian brothers and sisters for father it is a plan a plan like no other so guard us keep us help us to learn from the words Jesus spoke to Peter himself and for us to just follow with all our heart the example and follow in step with the companion that has been sent. For we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sun life Community Church dot com